Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Hey, we are David and Tracy Sellers with Vows to Keep Radio. We're so glad you're here with us today. So many times in marriage, aren't we saying, how do we do this? Or how do I fix that? How do I get back to where we used to be in our relationship? Yeah, too often, I think we're, we're looking backwards and saying, I, I remember. I remember a time when it wasn't like this. Yeah. And here we are now dealing with what feels like a caustic, poisonous relationship. How do we fix that? Well, today's show is one that we hope you listen to with clarity. How many times in marriage do we have a dream that goes unfulfilled? I'd say most of us probably have that. And our spouse can even become an obstacle to that dream. Yeah. Every time you want to talk about this topic, you get a big fat no from your spouse. Mm -hmm. There's not some engaging conversation. Instead, it's a fight. Or maybe you just get no response at all. Whether it's something like, okay, I'd really love for him to quit smoking. I would really like that. But he says, absolutely not. Or I just want her to simply acknowledge my physical needs and be there for me. When we're passionate about something and it doesn't get fulfilled, a lot of resentment can start to build. We have some friends, they've been married for many, many years, and they've got something like this in their marriage. So if nothing's coming to mind for you, maybe this will trigger some thoughts. So these guys do a ton of traveling. They are always planning out their next trip and they love to talk to other people about it. But here's where the rub comes in. This wife in this relationship wants to take a specific kind of trip. And it's one where her spouse does not want to go. She's expressed this desire to him and he simply says, no, it's not going to happen lovingly, but no, that doesn't interest me. So we're going to go to places that interest both of us or at least that interest me. And this has been going on for like 40 years. And it commonly comes up in conversation when I'm talking with my friend. This person isn't saying that saying no to a vacation spot is in and of itself a sin because it's not. And we wouldn't normally say this is something that this person needs to forgive their spouse for. But my friend has let this little issue rise frequently in her conversations with their spouse for so long now that it's festering. So what comes to your mind when we describe an inequity like this? What has your spouse ignored? What little offenses have been ongoing for long periods of time? You see when pastors and counselors and radio broadcasters like us talk about unforgiveness, we of course hit the big things. Mm -hmm. Infidelity place where there's really deep hurts, past sins that just rock the marriage boat. And then we talk about trust again and how to forgive and how to move on from what's happened. What doesn't get talked about as much, but what goes on more often than those big ginormous sins are all of the little things. He didn't fix the car like he said he would. I've gained 15 pounds since our wedding, but you've gained 50. Does this sound familiar? Guilty. I wanted to live in the country, but we've been stuck in this neighborhood for 10 years and I've let you know about it. I've always wanted to have a dog and you refuse to even consider the possibility. He always complains that I spend frivolously and if he makes one more joke about my mom, you don't want to know what's going to (laughs) happen. See, all these little things, they stack up and we don't let them have a big corner of our hearts like we would if this was some headline or sin like Mm -hmm. infidelity. But as the thoughts of these nagging issues come up, 
we actually invite them in. We let them pull up a chair, prop their feet up, get really comfortable, and we visit them often. It's almost like we treasure these hurts by not being willing to let go of them. We don't want them to leave. Now, why is that? Many times it's because we believe we've been treated unfairly, even if what they're doing is not a sin. Now, normally right about now, I'd ask you to take inventory of your resentment towards your spouse. You know us here at Vows to Keep Radio. We're always giving you some kind of homework. But I'm going to start on the opposite side of that coin first. Think about this. If I asked your spouse what resentment you held toward them, what would be the topics they would identify? And how quickly do you think they'd be able to answer that? Probably within a couple of seconds, don't you think, David? What about you? Maybe it's your turn now to think about the same thing. What are the things that you are resentful for with your spouse? Now, by the end of this broadcast, I want you to have taken inventory of your resentment because we want today's broadcast to be something that's personal. A lot of times wives will have resentment over things that aren't done. And husbands have resentment because they feel like no matter what they tried to do, they could never please this woman. Which is a little bit ironic, I think, yeah. because they're so quite related. For example, the wife clearly has resentment for her husband when he's got plans that she knows he's never going to execute on. He's written a check and she can't cash it. You said you would. And if you just stop nagging. Then I could stop reminding you. But in his eyes, he can't write enough checks to make her happy. Does this sound like your marriage? Okay, so David, you said you wanted this to be real to life, and we're not perfect. We've got <laughs> no, this kind not. of stuff happening in our own marriage. So Absolutely. let me give you an example from our own life. So in our little seller's world, we don't believe in having car payments if we can help it. And we can help it because David is a whiz with cars. He's built many from the ground up, doing all the work himself. It's just been awesome financially for our family to be able to get debt-free and stay debt-free. So one of the things we do is we buy wrecked vehicles that no one else wants, and we buy them for a fraction of the cost. We fix them up, and now we have a cheaper, reliable car. And we've done this our entire married life, like almost 20 years. So we've been through a lot of cars. Like 81 cars, I think. At last count. Well, the last couple of cars we've done for our family, David has said he wants to get just right for mm. me. Nothing, Don't I sound like a good husband? You are. You're the best. <laughs> no. Nothing left undone. Everything like it would be if we bought it off of a lot. Well, we saw our current car online. We traveled a long way to go get it. It was wrecked. And it was wrecked. And when we got there, it had received additional damage on the lot that we weren't aware of. But we bought it anyway. And David worked really hard to get the front end all fixed up. There's some other things that needed to happen as well. But we've had this car for about a year and a half now. Let me tell you, it still has all kinds of boo-boos. In fact, one of them is covered up by a big bumper sticker <laughs> in the back just so we don't have to look at it. But you know what? I know that's not going to happen. And it's not happened with any vehicle David's built for our family to drive as a car. Now, I'm not saying this to, like to, should be to dig on David at all because I know he is a busy guy. And there are tons of other things in our life that take priority. This is just a car. But I could complain. I could coerce. I could negotiate. I could shame David into getting my car fixed. But I know what his day looks like. And I know that doing that is not going to go anywhere. Now, every time I saw the car, I could think about the promise that David made. He wrote a check and I want to cash it. I've got two choices, as you can see, and so do you. I can keep resentment harbored right here in my heart, bitterness towards what he said he would do and didn't deliver on, or I can move in grace. But can I really move on from an offense by giving grace? And do I even want to? If I stash the resentment inside where no one can see but me, it's still there. And I'm only fooling myself to believe it won't affect my viewpoint of David 
and eventually our unity and our relationship. But what is this little offense really? What's your little offense really? Because I believe if it's labeled correctly, then it can be dealt with biblically. Yeah, let me say that again. If you label your resentment correctly, it's easy to begin to deal with those things from a biblical perspective. Even if your spouse maybe hasn't out and out sinned against you, here's what can happen. We can sin against them in our response. Resentment is a form of bitterness. It's unforgiveness. And unforgiveness, as we know, is a sin. Once we label it, if we can accept the label, that is power in your hands because now it can be dealt with. I don't have to let it fester and infect our marriage for years to come. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. The word sin here means that we're missing the mark. Maybe your spouse isn't sinning against you, but in your book, they've missed the mark. That's a big distinction to make. Your husband not agreeing with you about the house that you live in or whatever your specific offense is, isn't a sin defined by God. God has asked the two of you to become one in your thinking, in your unity together, but he hasn't asked your husband to give you everything that you want. On the flip side, you've decided that you have got to have this. You need this thing. And you've got your long list of reasons why you need it. And when it doesn't happen, you deem that you've been wronged. And now it's not God's wrong that your husband is defying. It's yours. You're making your own law, asking your spouse to live up to that. Here are three ways that you and I have limped along with resentment, unnecessarily weighting us down. The first is that little offenses build up and they cause us to make big assertions about our spouse's character. Most common, we get to a point where we've determined, hey, I can't trust you anymore. Their words aren't meaningful. And what starts out as an offense about a car that's left undone pretty soon becomes an assertion about their character. We tend to generalize and we make overarching statements that we believe are true. For example, when your spouse says, no, I'm not interested in being intimate with you right now, we could take that as you're not attracted to me. And now I believe that to be true about you because I'm looking at it through my lens. But on the flip side of this, if you don't let little offenses build up, then you're not going to be making these overarching assertions about your spouse's character. You're going to be looking at them through the lens of scripture like you should in the first place. And that happens only when you deal with those offenses as they really are, which are unforgiveness. Number two, here's another thing we do when we let the little offenses build up. We use them as ammunition. Now, this is a biggie, so we're going to talk about this in a little more depth than these other two. We use our words, David, a lot in ammunition. We give these little verbal or nonverbal digs. For example, about the car, let's use that again. I could sure. keep bringing it up. I could sigh meaningfully when we pass a new car lot or I could quietly insinuate that you're not providing for me like my friend, because guess what? Her husband just got her a brand new van. I could keep that resentment at the forefront and it can get ugly really fast, even in those quiet ways. When we let resentment build without forgiving, we tend toward another form of ammunition. It's like third party digging at someone. He wants her to hear him repeat her offense to his friend at the barbecue or his dad on the phone. He hopes She hears how much that put him out when she did that. But he doesn't want to say it directly to her face. This moves your resentment into another sin category, and that's called slander. 
Resentment undealt with is where slander in your marriage gets its first footholds. Now you advance that 10, 20 years, and this is where we find two people living in the same house who don't talk to each other because they know exactly how their words will be used against them. And if that isn't bad enough, most verbal abuse situations that we have had the opportunity to counsel couples through, it starts and lives in this camp of resentment. It's building up on one little thing after the next, after the next, until suddenly you find yourself in a fire exchange of words between the two of you. And at that moment, those words seem justifiable, but anyone standing on the peripheral who's, who's just hearing that one exchange would say, whoa, whoa, where did that, that little thing that just happened was not big enough to demand that big exchange. This is clearly verbal abuse. And the reality is that that bystander hasn't been there to see how long that building up of resentment and how far that building up of resentment has taken your marriage. This is why it's so critical that we identify this for what it is and we don't let it build. So let's go on just a short road trip through scripture about unforgiveness, David, just real quick here. And we'll look at its effects in our lives. So I think this is sort of a sequence we can follow and identify with. We're going to start in Mark seven twenty, where Jesus says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. So what comes out of us? What does our sinful nature produce? Well, Galatians 5 addresses that. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Here's what comes out of us. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, and other sins like these. And a lot of those have some of their roots in resentment. Jesus says in Mark 7, 23, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. In Luke 6, Jesus is plain as day about what's going to happen next. His mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. And we'll wrap it back up in Galatians 5 again through this little road trip through the New Testament. Verse 15 says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. The connection is so clear, Tracy. And we see this whenever we have the chance to talk to couples. We see this in our own marriages. If we stuff our hearts full of these grudges, we hold them against our spouse, eventually they're going to come out of our mouths. And it's going to be obvious to anyone who's standing around, including ourselves, hopefully, that something isn't right. It'll be obvious we're acting out of our flesh. The key point being, if you deal with the sin of your resentment when it comes and you don't harbor it, then you are not going to have ammunition towards your spouse. In fact, you're going to be looking how you can verbally build them up rather than tear them down. In all of these things, what we see is a repeated theme. Someone wants something and we are in the way of it. And so many times if we could actually see ourselves as God's ally to our spouse, maybe there's times where we need to be coming out right and saying what you're doing is wrong. And rather than turning the knife in your side and saying what you're doing is wrong and it's offending me, we would come forward and say what you're doing is wrong before the Lord. And I'm not here to judge you. In fact, I want to enable you to get the things out of life that honor God that you desire. But instead, what we do is we hold on to those offenses. Our eyes are not so much on how they're offending God. They're on how they're offending ourselves. And then that leads us to the third thing. When we hold on to resentment, our generosity our ability to look out for what they might have an interest for goes down. We deem them as an unworthy recipient. It's almost like we're in protest of giving them what they would like because we do not want to give them the liberty to take anything further. And the world says, that's exactly right. That's exactly what you should do. If they have taken liberties, if they have done things that offend you, 
certainly you should not be generous to them. So let's give another real life examples from our own marriage, David. Do we have to? Well, this is more about me than you. So (laughs) early on in our marriage, I was always saying where I wanted to go. And David gave me the preference. Let's say we were going to go somewhere fun for a Sunday afternoon or go out to eat. And David began to resent me in that. And we had this conversation a few years ago and it was a real eye opener for me. I was in sin and I needed to have this pointed out to me. And David wanted to be generous towards me and he was for a long time, but eventually resentment grew because he started to harbor these feelings in his heart. And I wasn't asking about his point of view. What would you like? And that was ammunition because there were other issues that this got lumped into. Yeah, what happens so quickly with resentment is it goes from one of us perhaps being wrong to both of us for sure being guilty standing there in sin. Because here I am thinking, hey, I've been giving to you and you haven't even noticed. And I use that to become someone who would be a taker at times. And even when we were preparing for this broadcast the other day, I got tears in my eyes. This was many, many years ago in our marriage that this all came up and it's all been resolved since then. But here's David's response to how I reacted as we were talking this through. He said, grace. There is grace. And that is exactly where we need to head with our spouse on either side of this resentment coin. As we were talking about it, I was actually somewhat surprised that you still had feelings of guilt. I thought, yeah, this is totally dealt with. And I was so glad to talk about God's grace. People that are resentful are often people that don't even recognize themselves in that position. I'm reminded of a colleague of mine. She can give off to everyone in the room this just friendly and outgoing vibe. And in the next, she's like thunder and lightning, cutting down and commanding with absolute authority. Now, many people would identify someone like this as someone who is bipolar. She changes her tone so drastically from one situation to the other. In one situation, someone who wants something from me as opposed to thinking that I want something from her. These two emotions create some very polar opposite approaches in how people approach those conversations. People that are fire and anger in one situation and then peaches and cream in another are people that have bought into the lie that the resentment is okay. You might be married to someone who's in this very situation. They're saying, I'm owed something and I've had to deal with way too much of this in my life. The difference between manipulation and being someone who is God-honoring and how they live is all about your heart's intent. When we change our demeanors to get a specific result out of someone, we've lost the point entirely. And resentment is the license that we need to do this in so many people's lives. Satan uses resentment as if we were the frog dropped into the pot of water being slowly brought to a boil. Let me explain. We don't even notice resentment building in our lives because it takes months, sometimes years to reach the point that we're regularly abandoning God's word. We're regularly abandoning that image of grace that we should be as believers. And instead what our spouse sees is us taking the position of judge and juror and we're finding them as guilty rather than taking on the cross and doing what Jesus says to do. He is our example, giving grace, being someone who would deny ourselves. Instead, we feel justified to bring wrath and fire down on them. Resentment is drinking poison and hoping that the other person in your marriage is the one who's going to pay the price. Not only are we making ourselves miserable with the weight of that anger inside of us, we ultimately render the effectiveness of God's grace useless in their eyes. And we become an ally of Satan's destruction in their life and in ours. 
remember that if we put the right label on our resentment, that resentment is sin, it's a form of unforgiveness, then it can be dealt with biblically. And then we can actually go on from here rather than letting it cripple our relationship. We're going to read for a minute from Hebrews 12 about a man named Esau. Now Esau is way back in Genesis 25. You can go read his story back there. But here he is mentioned again, because what he did in his life applies to us today. So I'm going to start in verse 14 of Hebrews 12. It says, work at living in peace with everyone. Yes, that includes your spouse. And (laughs) work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, it says, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he couldn't change what he had done. Esau was just like all of us. He was in a position where he was saying, I can't take this anymore. I need some relief. I need it now, whatever the cost. And we're the same way. Too often our resentment convinces us that what we need desperately, what we need right now has got to be the way it is. So we trade things in our marriage. We trade expensive things in our marriage for something which will never deliver. You see, God has promised you two things. The first is that there will be trouble in this life. The second is, that as we handle our marriage relationship in the way that he's designed it to be, there will be blessings. So what are you trading for the blessing that God has promised you? What are you going to do with that mental list of resentable things that you've built in your mind? Whether it's from your spouse's side, what are they resentful to you about, or what you are holding resentment in your heart against them. So we're going to walk through this just a little bit, but remember first, your first option with that mental list is to let them pile up and to repeat those past offenses over and over and say to yourself, how many times am I going to have to listen to this? How many times are they going to do this to me? How many times am I going to have to repeat myself? We can refuse this label. We can refuse to label resentment as sin and just continue on this path. Or we can take back the blessing of our marriage by number one, asking for forgiveness. That's right. We can make it right by identifying what our resentment really is, and how it's affecting our relationship. Then we can take what we see in God's word. We can look at the grace that he's given us for our sins, and we can go and extend that to our spouse. And that's number two, forgive. We are commanded in God's word to do this. And when we do, we're acting just like Christ. Be imitators of God, Ephesians 4 says, because you're dearly beloved children. Be like your heavenly father. Be kind and compassionate to your spouse this week. Forgive them just as God in Christ forgave you. And if as you're hearing what Tracy has said, and you realize there is unforgiveness in our marriage, but it's not necessarily me that's holding on to it, it's my spouse, guess what you can do to help them? Go and ask for their forgiveness. Repentance is the lubrication that it often takes to help our spouse to realize that we are actually acknowledging we've done something wrong and our desires to make it right with them. And finally, number three, rather than holding all those things inside, letting the resentment build up and stay there, don't take account. Listen to Proverbs 19:11. Good sense and discretion make a man or a wife slow to anger, and it is his or her honor and glory to overlook a transgression or an offense without seeking revenge or harboring resentment. Wow, we can act just like our Heavenly Father right here by overlooking that offense 
and not harboring resentment and not seeking revenge. You can trade back what you've traded away for your marriage blessing. We know today, we've seen it acted out in our own lives, that God is still holding those blessings out to Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. Like what you heard today on Vows to Keep Radio? Listen to more life-changing broadcasts at VowsToKeep.com. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.